there and welcome to the Secrets of Organ Playing podcast. I'm your host, Vidas Pinkavichus. Welcome to Secrets of Organ Playing podcast number 110. Today is Sunday, September the 3rd, 2017. And today's guest is Peter Van Dyke, who is city organist and organist of the Grotte St. Lawrence Kerk in Alkmaar, the Netherlands, where he acts uh, as a custodian to two of the world's most significant historic organs. As one of Europe's most sought-after teachers, Van Dyke is professor and head of organ studies at the Conservatory of Amsterdam, a position he combines with a professorship at the Hochschule für Musik und Theater in Hamburg. Together with Frank van Wyk, he is artistic director of Organ Festival Holland, which places the renowned Alkmaar instruments at the center of prestigious international organ competition, organ academy and concert series. You can also listen to my previous interview with Peter, which was done in 2015. This was uh, podcast number 22, and Peter talked about the world-famous organs at uh, his church in Alkmaar. Professor Peter van Dijk came to Vilnius to teach and perform at the Summer Organ Academy, which my colleague Belis Waitkus and his team organized uh, just a week ago. We met at the restaurant of his hotel and talked about his teaching and performing experiences at the academy, as well about uh, his project to record uh, complete organ works of G.S. Bach on significant historical instruments of Holland, Germany and Norway. Let's go to the show. So, Peter, finally this moment when we uh, meet together and have a great time in Vilnius, have a real cup of cappuccino instead of virtual cappuccino came and you came to Vilnius and uh, you spent a few days teaching uh, Lithuanian students and, and also one Polish student too, right? Uh, at the Summer Organ Academy that uh, my colleague Bolis Vaitkus organized and uh, I'm so eager to know how your experiences in, in these master classes were, what did you learn, uh, did you enjoy teaching uh, experience and of course things uh, that you are currently working on will be very interesting to uh, to our organ community around the world from 89 countries. Thank you so much for your time, generosity and insights and welcome to the show. Thank you very much Fidash. It's for me a very big pleasure to be live here. The last time it was Alkmaar Vilnius, now we are both in Vilnius, so that's a big pleasure for me. And to be honest, I heard a lot of positive stories about Vilnius, about the city, the old city, and about the, the fantastic churches and monuments you have here. And it's indeed true that Vilnius is a, a treasure uh, among the, the, the European cities where so much culture has been preserved. So I was looking around and uh, was also, also looking to the, 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 the part where the Jewish community, community was living before this, mainly before the Second World War. And for me it's a very nice uh, fact to be here finally alive. I have been in one other Baltic uh, state before, that was uh, Estonia, 
I, I played once in uh, Tallinn and I also give there a masterclass of a week starting in Valka on the Ladekast organ and then traveling slowly to the north to Tallinn mm-hmm. and there I'm, I played both organs the Ladekast and Sauer and the, the big Valka organ mm-hmm. from the 1930s and that is I think around eight years ago and I was also very impressed by the by the the liveliness, the nature and, and the culture. And well it's it's very nice to refresh that that feeling. Um, yeah, I, I, I started my stay here with a concert in the cathedral. Yes. Please tell us more about it. You played this uh, uh, Alexander Suke organ from 1960s, uh, late 1960s. Uh, it's a neo-baroque organ and in many cases it might sound quite boring, but when I witnessed and Osha witnessed this performance of yours, it was never boring. You had such a splendid array of uh, colorful registrations, but also your your spectacular sense of pulse was astounding. Uh, you, you kept the flow going from the first beat to the last, even in romantic piece, uh, that variation cycle, right? So could you please tell us a little bit about your recital? Yes, well, for me, in the first place, it was... If you come into the church and you look up to the west side, mm-hmm. where you expect the organ case, it's of course always a pleasure to see such a beautiful harmony in proportions. And well, this old case from I think second half of the 18th century reminded me immediately very strongly of this casework which was done by Mr. Mosengel in in Königsberg. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of very broad rich cases we don't know that type in in the Netherlands we have it of course a little in the south in Belgium so our most French instrument is in Helmond and that was imported from an abbey from Belgium Uh, so I like very much this kind of case and I was quite touched by the Schuko organ because if I if I consider that this instrument was built in the 1960s where everything was closed here where the materials were not optimal. Uh, I think Schuke made with his possibilities for those days really an instrument where you can play quite a wide range of, of repertory. And uh, yeah, concerning your, your remarks about my performance, I'm very thankful to you that you liked it. Um, yeah, for me, because my organ in Alkmaar is, so to say, uh, my my reference and if you have such an ideal instrument at home you always bear it with you and that means that if I'm somewhere else I also try to imitate on other instruments the same colors of sound and well, one thing on, on this kind of more modern instruments is also the art of letting certain stops out of mm-hmm. your ensemble so you, you check the mixtures and you think, well, this is a little too sharp. It's not really well balanced with the foundations. Or you try out, if you use two eight-foots together, is the speech then a little more more poetic or fluent? Mm-hmm. Or, well, I uh, at one moment I, I tried to use the three eight-foot stops of the grade mm-hmm. and then just one tone was so out of tune. Then I decided, oh no, that part I will play only on the principle because otherwise it's disturbing too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That about, about about the sonorities. 
And I think it, it's very important that if you play romantic music like Brahms and Mendelssohn, that you also have an idea of the romantic plenum sound. And that you, for example, make a plenum more more sensitive with a coronet sound in top than a mixture sound. Yeah. And um, well, if you have enough experience with instruments like Ladekas, then Zawa, and also Kavikol for other repertory, mm-hmm. then you also learn what you can combine and what is better not to combine. Um, yeah, and concerning what, what you remark about my pulse, um, yeah, I think steadiness in organ playing is, for me, extremely important. Uh, we, we know that, that the tactus, especially yeah. in the Renaissance music, was the standard. And yeah, my, my personal opinion, I didn't play in this, this concert the North German repertory from Buxtehude and Bruns. But today I was teaching the, 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 the big E minor of Bruns. And as you know, there are, you can divide the piece in many different parts. And each part has its own character and also his own tempo indication and, and his own time signature and most of the time if you listen nowadays to performances you have the feeling every part is not linked to the other part and I believe if you make a good choice there will be one tactus from the beginning to the end with where the tactus is still stable Mm -hmm. but where you divide the different accents in a different way and for me that is more or less in the North German music the freedom you have that you for example in a free part for example the opening that you can start a big E minor with an accent even if it's an unaccentuated note because mm-hmm. it's not the one it's the one end and so you can play that ta 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 and give the listeners the impression the one is on another moment than it is mm-hmm. for me that is freedom and it's not so much that you play with a big accelerando because the, the accelerando, in fact, is not freedom. Accelerando has all, always to speed up. And um, so it's always a matter of balancing between, between strictness, freedom, uh, and expression. Right? Because you, you want to play every music as expressive as, as, as possible. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Uh, you started kind of talking also about uh, the courses, right? Uh, the Summer mm-hmm. Academy mm-hmm. Um, and about Bruns and about, uh, uh, about uh, your students uh, playing this. Were students uh, responsive to your remarks and suggestions? Could they recreate uh, different, uh, different ideas on the spot or were they kind of stiff and uh, had to practice on their own and then come back to you? Or how, how was it for you? What yeah, it was, it was very, very right. There were people who could, who could use the information immediately and change their playing 100%. Mm-hmm. And for others, they, they were so, so used to a certain way of playing that they, they didn't react and listen enough to their own playing. So there were, there were very good examples and there were some examples uh, of students where they had too much effort to change immediately. Yeah. And, and one, I think one aspect which makes it very hard, especially with early music, is that if you teach on a shuko organ, in, the, in this, this case in the philharmonie, there is no acoustic. 
and well, especially this freedom. If you have a general rest and you have no acoustic, so it's very dry in the rest, then it's very hard to 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 respond and to react on. Yeah, that it's a sort of conversation, and and also concerning the sound, I think. Compared to the Shuk in the cathedral, there you have a fantastic acoustic mm-hmm. uh, and quite a quite a fine f- uh, voicing. There, it's a little easier to 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 make uh, a poetic uh, mm-hmm. and and uh, uh, really telling story in the music. Also, the touch in uh, in the Philharmonic uh, hall organ is is less less precise. Mm-hmm. So the sound is not helping you. Right. Yeah. And that, that is, of course, of, of this early music, but not only of early music. Uh, with César Frank, the sound is also extremely important. Yeah. Uh, so it's an important part um, where you, you need then your fantasy. And if people, I have my own, what I said before, I, I carry the instruments where I work with in Holland, always with me. And therefore, I'm sometimes able on on an instrument which is not so good quality mm-hmm. to to make a better sound because I couple things together, uh, and I have my ideal in my in my head. But if students are not used ever to play on on really good instruments, then they miss, of course, this imagination for for the best sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right that uh, that. The more probably instruments they try, the more experience they become in adjusting mm-hmm. to different variety of instruments, different environments, different styles. And uh, just a week maybe ago, um, some of those students uh, were on the organ tour, organ trip basically, field tour. They tried different uh, historical instruments in Lithuania. So that was a good thing for them, I guess. Uh, and. Uh, uh, on another uh, note, uh, we also imagine that in in most of the European cathedrals and uh, and churches, acoustics are so vast, and uh, the, basically the organ plays itself, right? Uh, what about the village instruments, small churches, uh, let's say in Netherlands? Uh, I suspect uh, the the places are not always so um, easy to to um, to make the sound and let the organ speak, right? Uh, so probably you mentioned this dry acoustic in in the Philharmonic Hall. Sometimes in back in Baroque times, they also had similar environments, right? Yes, if you think, for example, of northern Germany, mm-hmm. where there are beautiful Schnitko organs, sometimes in very dry acoustics. Yeah. Uh, if you take, for example, the large organ in San Cosme in Stade, it's a huge instrument uh-huh. in relatively small church. And the acoustic is, well, there is acoustic, but it's not very long. But there are churches like, I, I remember Holland, where you have a very dry acoustic, or um, Ludingwort, a yeah. fantastic three-manual instrument. It's called the Farmer's Cathedral. Farmer's Cathedral, yeah. yeah. And it's beautiful, but there you have also to to do the, uh, the acoustics with your touch. And that was one of the things I tried to learn today with a, a final chord. There was a final chord played uh, and uncontrolled, so the student was lifting her hands very quickly, mm-hmm. and then I said to her, "Do it slowly and try to suggest more, more acoustic, because then also your sound is more making a diminuendo, mm-hmm. and you can even 
do this movement eh, that you turn your hands out so that the, the top note and the lowest note of your hand is remaining until the very end to get a little an ex- impression of that the sound is, is a little longer. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I do this kind of tricks with the, with the people and I work very hard with them on their posture because I think generally speaking uh, posture is a neglected subject in organ playing and I think it's so basic because you, I always say to people you get your back only one time if it's destroyed you don't get, get a new one mm-hmm. and I know 80% of the organists have back, back problems, problems yeah. so that is an important aspect especially because we as organists we are not like pianists the pianist is always having his Steinway so he's always sitting so much centimeters from the manual and on the same height. He can always position his body in the same way. And he knows that the touch is having so many grams or kilograms. But as an organist, you have always the fact that you have either a light action or a, a heavy action, that mm-hmm. the, the manuals are close by or the third manual or fourth manual is far away. Playing heavy, coupled, sometimes impossible mm-hmm. uh, on the first view. So you, you need a very flexible body who is supporting your, your expression in playing. So I think that is extremely essential. Mm-hmm. And the other very essential thing in uh, organ playing is organ technique. Mm-hmm. So uh, today we worked on the positive in the palace. And I also uh, was working with, with them, with the whole group, on very basic things, like how, how to play parallel thirds and sixths with one fingering. And so every, every third with four and two. And then to try to avoid that it sounds like, like staccato. So I said to them, try to release so softly that it sounds almost legato. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that kind of techniques, also the, the, the regular move of, of, of the arm, and that the thumb is not doing the whole time, like in Czerny, uh, uh, under the hand, but you keep your thumb and your fingers in one line and re- really try to play in position playing. So if you then do one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, you get automatical because the fourth is giving a gap. If you don't move your thumb under your hand, then you really get groups of four. And, and that kind of things, I have the feeling, yes, most of the students, uh, it, it's very helpful to hear that kind of they, simple information. They don't have enough of, in, of that information, yeah. technical yeah. knowledge, of course, here in Lithuania. And uh, talking about back problems, you, you mentioned, right, a lot of organists have them. Do you think that some kind of physical exercise is helpful, it's like stretching or, or, I don't know, yoga or pilates or something like that, slow, well, slow breathing and, and helping to relax muscles would be helpful to organists? Yes, of course, but I, I, I think mainly it's a matter of how do I sit? Mm-hmm. So my, my philosophy is that you have to sit very much in front of the bench. In front. So let's say against the bench. Why? Because if you play on historic organ, you have to turn a lot. And then they have to learn how to turn. And very important in turning is that the upper body, so the arms and the spine, are not involved actively in the turning. But that is... Lower body. Yes, that they stay 
in line, so that spine is staying always above each other, mm -hmm. and that the hands and the shoulders are free. And facing the music, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that if you sit actively in front of the bench, your pelvis is going up, it's active, your shoulders are more backwards, your neck is more straight, so you are more able to turn your head uh, easily to the left and the right, and you are sitting more relaxed, and your breathing will be more automatical low. And then I learned them that if you turn, that you always have to split between the two legs. So that if I turn to the right, that first my right leg is going to the right, and then my left leg is going in reaction, mm -hmm. but never together. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I learned them is how to use the weight of the legs, because that's only possible if you sit in front of the bench. Otherwise, you cannot play with weight. Mm -hmm. And I have a very good example in Alkmaar. If you play the, the solo of the Toccata, Adagio and Fugue, the pedal solo, if you sit far over the bench and you play with the pedal plane without weight, because the weight is then on the bench, it sounds not loud. And if you don't change the registration, but you go forward and you use the full weight of the legs, mm -hmm. then you get a double amount of sound. Why is that possible on the organ? Yeah, it is because of, of, of the, also the, the, the body relation. Mm -hmm. And I, I think also because then you are more connected with the sound. And it's, of course, it's only on mechanical organs, yes. right? Yeah. Only yeah. on mechanical and probably historical type of yeah. pedal yeah. board, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is, of course, that if you make the relation with clavichord, pedal clavichord, you have exactly the same. Oh, clavichord is uh, precise proof that uh, yes. you should play with weight, right? Yes. Otherwise, yeah. there is no sound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And of course, that, that kind of things are technically possible to translate to a modern sitting organ, like a shuka organ, but the sound will not support it. Mm -hmm. yeah? That is one thing I, I, I'm discussing. Another aspect of what I was discussing was that For example, if you have uh, a texture, you have first a four-part texture, and then you have the same same texture repeated, but there is a fifth voice coming in. Then it then never can be that that part is an echo part, because if a composer would make an echo part, he would take away a voice and not add a voice. Mm -hmm. And so to look carefully to your note text, And because many people nowadays, they listen to YouTube how a piece should be played. Yes. And they don't develop their own opinion. And they are not looking careful enough to the note text, which is in fact our own only information. Yes. And I also uh, suggest them to, I've, uh, I've brought with me on my iPad uh, a number of interesting things. So yes. what I like very much are the The, the, the original prints which are now available via internet for free. So I discovered myself that the, the Musikalische Seelenlust by Mr. Kaufmann from Merseburg with the chorals, choral permits and with, registrations. With his crazy registrations. Yes. Mm -hmm. and, and that in this book there, there are choral settings as well which are not in the edition and what is lacking in the edition mostly 
is the enormous preface by Mr. Kaufman. Mm -hmm. So I have I've said I've given the address to all these students. Well, so look and and study this because this can be a great help if you want to play Bach choral. This is the big inspiration. And the same I do then with the for example the French Baroque music. Nowadays all the original prints of Couperin, Clermont Grigny are for free on the internet. Yeah. And so the, the, the idea that there is so much information and most of the people are just superficially busy with internet. But if you look a little deeper, and for my I, I teach in Hamburg and Amsterdam methodology, and well I have a lot of open schools now where I was looking for for many years. Uh, and now I have all in my archive on internet, and we are discussing these kinds of things and studying it during the methodology lessons. So I think it's a big inspiration. And also if I'm traveling, I'm reading these organ schools and I discover beautiful aspects which I, I never heard of. Mm -hmm. Do you like to play from your iPad too? Or uh, you prefer paper scores? I prefer paper mm -hmm. because I'm, I'm, I'm technically not so advanced. Uh, for me, it's a little small on iPad, yeah, and of is. course, at a certain moment, uh, it is becoming dark. <laughs> yes. And um, well, I, I don't want to be influenced by that kind of things. And what I miss is uh, I don't write so many things in my scores, but sometimes I, I wish to write something, and on my iPad that's not possible. I see. Perhaps with some technical tricks, but I don't know them. You have to have this special pen, right? Yes. They call it stylus, I think. No. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, wonderful. So you told them many secrets of, of your trade, right? Uh, they otherwise would not be able to hear anywhere, right? And you also brought your double CD, your recent double CD uh, from the organ of in Alkmaar, uh, Grot, uh, uh, St. Lawrence Kirk, right? And this, this CD is part of your recent project to record all the works of Bach as, 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 as a third, right? Yes. Could you tell us a little bit more? How did you, how did you become interested in recording all works of Bach? It, it seems like every organist should record Bach, right? It's, it's a dream for every organist now. But now you have those magnificent instruments at your disposal, right? So let's talk about Yes. It. Well, to be very honest, at the beginning I was not thinking to record the complete Bach. Mm -hmm. But six years ago I made a recording of the Klavierübung and the Schubler Chorals for a firm uh, from southern Germany. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately there, there, there were problems with the producer and it never came out. So I was a little frustrated because I have worked very long, it was a whole week recording, and in Alkmaar you have to record in the night, because that's the only moment that it's really silent. So I have a good friend in the board of Schnitka, who is also a recording uh, engineer, and he has his own label, yes. Daniel van Horsen. And uh, so I, I, I talked about this, this problem, and I said, well, I would love to record the Klavierübung, or to bring out the Klavierübung of Bach. And he said, well, I would like to, to do that with you, but on one condition. He said, oh, and what's then the condition? Uh -huh. 
Ja, that we do the complete bug. Complete bug. <laughs> so then I said, oh, now I have to think about it. Uh, but then we made the plan, and then we said, okay, let's make a plan. And uh, well, how does it look? Well, first we start with, we, we divide the, the long choral cycles. We keep them more or less together. So the Klavierbung is one thing. And, well, I, as you have seen, the, the double CD is filled up also <coughs> with some extra pieces like the Fifth Reel Sonata, like the Alla Breve, the Fantasia and, and Fugue in C minor. And we added from all the chorals a setting with a soprano because nowadays one problem with the choral prelude is, especially with the difficult ones, mm-hmm. the people don't know the chorals anymore. Especially the Catholics not, or in certain countries they they have heard about them, but if you ask them, can you sing the melody? They are not able. So it's not too many people can. Yeah. So it's very, very important if you want to understand this music, also emotionally, that you hear a version where the melody is very clear. Mm-hmm. So that we added. And then it was very nice to do this in Alkmaar because uh, two years ago we had in Alkmaar the last restoration where we had to, to restore the pipework because we had uh, problems with lead corrosion. So now the organ is in a very good condition. And, well, the, as an opening, I'm very happy to, to do that on my own organ. And you know, the Alkmaar Bach organ uh, is, of course, Bach had never been in, in Alkmaar. But since the 1950s, Alkmaar was discovered mainly by the, the German blind organist Helmut Walcher. Mm-hmm. And he made in, I think, 56, a recording of the Art of the Fugue. And that recording became so famous all over the world that I still get visitors from America who come to me and say, well, Mr. Van Dijk, that recording changed my life because then I decided I, I will become a professional organist. Yes. So Alekmaar will be, uh, for 50% of our recordings, the instrument. But mm-hmm. we thought it is also very nice to give a broader perspective of good instruments for Bach and then we made a selection of instruments which are partly very well known so we will of course make one CD in Freiberg on the beautiful uh, Gottfried Silbermann organ and there I will record uh, music very strongly influenced by the French style because the Freiberg organ is a beautiful example of uh, a German instrument very with very French elements we will make in Germany, a recording on the instrument where I'm closely connected to, to the, the new Scherer Fritzsche Flentrop organ in the Catherine Church in Hamburg. Mm-hmm. And I was also in the commission for the making of this instrument. And I'm in the lucky circumstances that for, the, for my class in Hamburg, I can teach there every time a morning. So I'm, I'm closely connected to that instrument. And in that instrument, I will uh, record the pieces where a very, very clear North German connection is. So, for example, the phenomenon choral fantasy, I will record in in Hamburg. Mm -hmm. And then we will take uh, one other middle German instrument, uh, that's an instrument by Mr. Wagner. And that instrument is in... In, in the north of Norway, in the cathedral of Trondheim. Trondheim, yes. Uh, restored by Jürgen Ahrens, also beautiful instrument in a fantastic acoustic. 
and Trondheim and Freiberg, that's another link, are both my colleagues in the, the Echo League, mm-hmm. and so the European cities uh, with historical organs. So I know these colleagues very well, and it's very important that you have good conditions for making an optimal recording. Yeah. So that are the instruments outside the Netherlands, the three. And then we selected a number of instruments in the Netherlands, which are not so famous. And most of the time they are made like Alkmaar. Alkmaar, Frans Kasper was a pupil of his father, Arpschnitger. But Arpschnitger had a real organ, organ builder school. And many of his students went to the Netherlands because the market in Germany was filled. So, for example, in Groningen and in Friesland, there worked an organ builder uh, with the name Hinch. And Hinch built beautiful instruments in Groningen, but also in Friesland. Mm-hmm. And Flentrop recently restored two of them, one in Bolswart and the other one in, um, in Harlingen. Uh-huh. And these two instruments are not so well known and are very well equipped for Bach. For example, Harlingen is on, on the chamber tone pitch, so it's on 415, like Alkmaar. Um, and it has also a splendid acoustic, so I really look forward to work in Harlingen and Bolswart. And there is one instrument in my province, in Noord-Holland, which is not so well known, and it's built by Rudolf Garros. Garros was also a pupil of Schnitke. And Garros did the same as Frans Kasper did in Alkmaar. So he built this instrument in Purmerend, in the former church, it's now in the 19th century church. And he reused parts of the former organ. Oh. So there are older parts in that instrument, and it's a three-manual instrument. And on that instrument I will make the, the second double CD, because we most of the time publish two CDs together. And on the second double CD there will be the main uh, repertory will be the Orgelbüchlein, the complete Orgelbüchlein, together with a number of smaller pieces, so uh, small fugues like the Legrenzi fugue, like the, the small fugue in, um, in B minor, like the uh, Das Harmonische Labyrinth, yeah. um, some, some preludes and fugue like the small E minor, and the G major, 5, 4, A, 1. And uh, so I try always to make, to make a very varied program, uh, that it's not just chorals or just preludes, because I think also in a, in a concert program you don't play one hour on playing. You need variety. Yeah. And very important is that you choose the repertoire very well in, in cooperation with the sound of the instrument. Yeah, you are a master at this, uh, Peter, because uh, even this neo-baroque organ in Vilnius uh, sounded like a new... Uh, nobody thought that those little flutes could sound so gentle in the in that space with, with hundreds of people around, right? Packed church almost. Uh, but it was so lively and gentle. You, you brought many new colors that uh, on Sunday. So I suspect in your recordings of, of less famous organs, right? You will draw out um, some some exotic sounding registrations as well, right? Yeah. Well, my my aim is of course also to bring some 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 new elements because what you said, you were, were completely right. I think there are too many recordings. So that is one of the reasons that we have 
have chosen some unknown instruments which are now recently restored and in their best shape. And the other aspect which is sometimes very refreshing for myself as well is that there is now a new website. It's called Bach Digital. Mm -hmm where you can see all the sources of the music. And, for example, the Legrenzi Fugue, I've compared, there are many different versions. And there's, for example, one version from the Andreas Bach book. And there are many different notes in it. So it can be very refreshing if you hear a well-known piece, suddenly with little different sonorities and different notes that can be make a piece really new. So you always try to... To, to, to keep it fresh because I think if you play repertory it's important that it's not a copy of somebody else and of course these historic organs that's the difference with a modern organ with a modern organ you try to come in sound as close as possible to the meaning of the composer but if you record on a historic organ you you have also to, to deal with the fact that there is a sort of rule in the instrument itself. Mm -hmm. And that means there is a certain balance in the instrument itself, but also in sonority, that you, that you accept the weak parts of the instrument. And uh, yeah, sometimes you have indeed to do tricks to, to make a better sound. Yeah? Fantastic. So I wish, uh, Peter, that you will discover as many fantastic organ sounds as possible with uh, even lesser-known organ works by Bach, right? Even this Lagrenzi field, when you play it in Vilnius, sounded just like a very unfamiliar piece to me because of your, your, your uh, uh, creativity and, and treatment of, of the texture and the, and the spinal uh, tempo. Uh, very, very fascinating uh, treatment of the tempo too. So thank you so much, uh, Peter. You are so generous with your time and teaching students all over the world. And here in Vilnius, you tried uh, uh, our organ at St. John's. How was your experience, by the way? Could you mention a little bit? Um, did, did you... Did you um, uh, could you depress uh, the, the heavy couplers uh, easy enough? Well, to be very honest, I, I found the, the manuals, with three manuals coupled, I found it extremely heavy. Heavy, yes. And not very gentle. But I was very touched by the instrument. It's a very colorful instrument. And of course, it is, well, it's not, so to say, it's not so easy in one hour to discover the inner truth of the instrument. For that, I, I would need, I think, a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. Myself, when the more I play this instrument, the more I discover too. The better I, I can feel it and, mm. and draw out the best of it. Yeah, so for me, it was also a big uh, pleasure to be in Vilnius that I was able to visit the church where the Casparini organ is kept. And that is one of the instruments where I heard about a lot. Um, so I was very curious to see the instrument and I was in the lucky circumstances that I could see the instrument and be inside the instrument and try the stops which are playing at the moment. And uh, well, my, my big wish is that it doesn't take too long that this instrument is coming back to its uh, uh, high, splendid uh, uh, quality because I think it's... Uh, uh, 
extremely important instrument for this country, but not only for this country, because it's exceptional that there is an instrument which is preserved for 90%, and these kind of witnesses of the past, I know that with Alkmaar, Alkmaar is also for 90% original, and I'm now working together with Christopher Baniak and the, the friend of firm uh, in the restoration, reconstruction of the organ in Olkush. So I know uh, also the problematic aspects of such a rec reconstruction, restoration, but I think if that kind of things are done, it can, can form such inspiration for colleagues, for organists, for audience, listeners, for students, for teachers, uh, and I think that will give uh, Vilnius an extra reason to go to, to, to visit. Yeah, our country will become even uh, more known in, in the world because of this instrument, right? Absolutely, because in Alkmaar, you know, Alkmaar is famous as they make uh, advertisement as a cheese city and yeah. we have our cheese markets every Friday in summer. So many tourists are just coming for that to Alkmaar with a bus. But there are also groups coming from everywhere just to see the organs. And if there is something in the church that the visit is not possible, they are so sad because for them, most of the time, the main reason for coming to Europe is to visit Alkmaar. <laughs> and I, 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 I'm sure that if the Casparini is in the best state again, that it will attract many groups and many interested people. And that, uh, that is, of course, an aspect which is very, very fresh and new for me. I was impressed, not only during my concert, but also in the concert we visited uh, this evening, how big the audiences are. And that is, that is fantastic. I mean, there is really a, a public for this kind of music. And... It's a pity that at this moment the, the high-level instrument is missing and in fact it is there, but after 20 years it should sound again in its best way. Yes, um, my hope is also uh, the same, uh, Peter, that, that uh, uh, current restoration will take place uh, very, very carefully. Uh, in, a, in a quality manner, according to the latest developments of, uh, of uh, international research, right? And uh, of course, uh, it would be great to have uh, this international group of uh, advisors, uh, experts on, on historical organ builder and restoration techniques to come together into some kind of conclusion, right? And, uh, and to discuss what's, what is possible, what is not possible, what, how it's done and what's the best for this landmark instrument. So, Peter, uh, <coughs> for uh, for ending, uh, of course, our um, listeners all over the world would like to know more about you and your wonderful uh, organ recording project, right? Uh, complete works of Bach. So, could you give us uh, a link where they could find you and your work online? Yes, I think the most simple is to uh, to look at the website of the producer. And, uh, well, I think it's the easiest if you publish it in text, huh? Yes. It is... www.dmp-records.nl, right? This DMP stands for DMP Records. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And the nice thing, if, if people are interested to have the whole series, they get, of course, a reduction. So the normal price for a double CD is 25 euros. But if they, if they sign in for the whole project, and the whole project will be to, uh, 20 CDs, they can get uh, each uh, double CD for 20 euros. And they also will get the CD earlier than, than it's uh, sold. So there are certain, certain uh, extras for right. people who are... So you can even subscribe, right? Yes. Uh, subscribe to support this project and, and receive a discount for all, each album, right? Yes, that's true. Wonderful. And you get everything in advance uh, earlier than everybody else. Yes. Like early bird uh, subscription. Yes. Wonderful. So I wish success. Uh, have you? How many have you uh, recorded already? We have done the first, the first two. The first two. So, yes. Yeah. So four CDs, right? Yes. Yeah, so no, n- now the first two. Yeah, so first we two. have two, uh, done two, and I will do in October. Number three and four. So, four. so the, 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 the schedule is that we try to make each year two double CDs. So four CDs per year. And that also means that the whole project is, is not a too long period. Yes. So I, I, I wish to, to be finished before I'm retired. Wonderful. So um, it's, a, it's a gigantic monumental project, like a marathon, right? Uh, and you're doing so many other things, right? You're playing recitals, teaching uh, students all over the world and advising uh, organ, uh, organ builders how to restore beautiful historical instruments. So um, your expertise is invaluable in this and I hope, I hope you will continue to do this for a long time, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Fidas, for this nice uh, talk. If you liked this conversation, I encourage you to visit my blog Secrets of Organ Playing at organduo.lt where you will find lots of insights, practical advice and training for every area of organ playing. You can subscribe to this blog for free to get your daily dose of inspiration and to be the first to know when any of my future podcasts roll out. I hope to help you reach your dreams in organ playing. I'm Vidas Pinkavichus. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you online really soon.